Today is the final Sunday before Advent, the final Sunday of ordinary time. And we celebrate the special feast of Christ the King. And so, what is the main gist of this feast and how are our, our texts here, especially our gospel, how is it relevant to this feast? Well, the basic idea of the feast of Christ the King is that for many, many hundreds of years, the church's influence in the political and social fabric of the broader human community, especially in Europe, was very palpable, very real. No one doubted it, no one questioned it. But beginning in the modern era, and especially in the 20th century, as a result of many different revolutions that took place, the idea uh, that the state should have absolutely nothing to do with religion and that politics should have absolutely nothing to do with religion uh, started to kind of come about in the minds of people and it started to very uh, affect societies and countries in a, in, a, in a negative way. So Pius XI, in the early 20th century, instituted this feast as a reminder that Christ's kingship should be felt not just you know, in kind of an abstract manner, but it's got to be, its effects have to be seen in the broader social and political community. Okay, so that Christianity is not just a religion for my own private group of people. We just meet here in this little building and we don't affect anything outside of the walls of this building. Or worse yet, you know, Christianity is just something in my head. And it's my own personal belief and it really doesn't have a real effect in the broader social and political fabric of society. Okay, that's an error. Christianity, the true test of Christianity is whether it has the effect in the outside worlds and, and in practical matters, matters. Okay, so primarily in terms of peace and justice for, for all. And this is why we have this passage today in the gospel where we see the importance of taking care of the vulnerable and the weak and the marginalized. Now, today also is a special day. Uh, it is a, a day of prayer for persecuted Christians. And the United States bishops have instituted this day as such. And for the following, uh, for this entire week, we have uh, a week of remembrance and awareness for persecuted Christians. And they thought it would be appropriate to place this day and this week on uh, the, the Feast of Christ the King. Because not only do we have the, the ill and the poor and the hungry and the homeless, so forth and so on, as the vulnerable and the weak and, and, the, and, the, and the marginalized. But we also have the persecuted. So we have to remember, add another category to our minds of those who need our attention uh, as Christians. Of course, pers- those who are persecuted for their religious beliefs, especially our Christian brothers and sisters. And uh, just to st- have a little story here in connection with this, I think we see the connection between persecuted Christians and the Feast of Christ the King in a, in a famous uh, martyrdom that took place during the Mexican Revolution in the early part of the, the 1900s. The Mexican Revolution took place in 1911, right around the same time of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. And uh, at that time, uh, powers came into place in Mexico that were highly, highly anti-Christian, anti-Catholic. And uh, there was, in 1917, there was a constitution that was passed in Mexico that had certain effects, like, so, for example, the church could not educate children at the primary or secondary school level. Uh, The monastic religious orders were shut down. Public worship outside of 
church buildings not allowed, illegal. So, for example, in Clyde this past August, we had this very nice Marian procession uh, in, a, in public. Well, that wouldn't have been allowed, for example, at that time in Mexico. Um, and then also priests could not wear, priests and religious could not wear their clerical garbs or their uh, habits, and they couldn't vote, and they couldn't comment on public affairs and politics. Okay, They would be arrested if, that, if, if they did that. And so here comes this young man. His name was uh, Miguel Pro. And he joined the Jesuits, which is a religious order in, in the Catholic Church. And the Jesuits, if you know anything about them, they're highly intellectual and they have huge amounts of education under their belt before they're ordained. So sometimes they do like 12 to 15 years of education uh, post-secondary school before they're even ordained. All right. So he was, um, in the midst of this kind of persecution, he was sent out of the country. He went to Europe, spent many years there. Finally, he was ordained uh, in 1925 and he was sent back to Mexico. The Mexico he came back to was very different than the Mexico uh, he had left. He came from a very devout family, and Mexico was very devout, and it still is, of course. The, the communist powers have not been able to squelch the faith in Mexico by any means. Um, they, maybe they've had the opposite effect, in fact. But at, at that time, though, in 1925, when he came back, it was very different, very oppressive. Uh, the, the, this communist regime was felt very... Um, forcefully in every area of, of life. In fact, some areas in some states in Mexico, they had closed down churches so that there's no worship was allowed in any church whatsoever. Okay, so and and priests were killed and uh, forced out of active ministry and whatnot. So it was very bad. So he went into this kind of an underground church and he ministered the sacraments and he preached in an underground covert manner. Uh, and he actually, there's a lot of stories about him disguising himself. So he would dress up in all these kind of funny characters uh, to be able to, to escape the detection of the police that were on his trail. But eventually he was caught and he was uh, put on, uh, you know, arrested on trumped up charges that were false. And, uh, and he was brought to his execution without a trial. And this was um, November 23rd. 1927. So in fact, it's just this past Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving, that we had the commemoration of Miguel Pro. In fact, so it's just recently, just a few days ago. So it was November 23rd, 1927. And it, he was brought out to a firing squad. Okay, so he probably had a dozen men with rifles aimed at him. And uh, he, he had one last request. They granted it to him. He knelt down and he prayed uh, with his back to the firing squad. And uh, as he got up, he was offered a blindfold, okay? And he, he refused the blindfolds. And he faced his executioners as opposed to turning his back on them. Can you imagine that? You've got 12 people with, with rifles pointed right at you, and you have the courage to stare right, right at them, directly at them. And uh, before they fired, he shouted out, and this is very well documented. There's lots of photographs of this. There's a famous photograph of him standing with his arms outstretched like this. You can look this up on the Internet. It's easy enough, Miguel Pro. He says to them, May God have mercy on you. Lord, you know that I am innocent. With all my heart, I forgive my enemies. And he had a rosary in one hand, and he had a small crucifix in the other hand. And he shouted out a, a famous saying. He said, uh, Viva Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King, before he was um, executed. 
very dramatic moment, and again, this is all captured on photographs. Uh, the president of Mexico at that time captured this on uh, photographs because he thought it would intimidate uh, the devout and those who were resisting his regime. It actually had the opposite effect. So it really galvanized those who were opposed to him. The next day for his funeral, 40,000 people came out to line the streets. 40,000 people. 20,000 people were present at the gravesite. Um, no religious ceremonies were allowed, but his dad gave the eulogy. All right. So uh, it actually really kind of had the opposite effect. And, of course, the faith to this day is very much alive and strong in Mexico and does affect things. Of course, there's lots of crime and corruption there, unfortunately. Uh, but wherever the faith uh, can have a positive effect, it does. And when Miguel Pro, blessed Miguel Pro, shouted out, Viva Cristo Rey, he was saying, Christ is king, not you, buddy, you know, Mexican president, you communist regime, you communist bullies, you guys don't have the last word when it comes to the social and the political order of this country or any country. Christ does. And so that's what we commemorate today, especially on this day of prayer uh, for the persecuted. Now, uh, if you'll check in your bulletins, I put a little handout in your bulletins. It's got a kind of a, a little news blurb on uh, persecuted Christians, this day of prayer and the week of awareness. And then on the other side, it's got various organizations that focus on ministering to persecuted Christians the world over. Um, some very important facts today. The 20th century has seen more Christian persecution than all 2,000 years of history of Christianity put together. Um, just in 2015, there was an estimated 7,000 Christians who died for their faith. If you look in the Middle East right now, of course, I mean, we have communist countries that persecute Christians in China. Uh, North Korea, we don't even know what's going on there. I can only imagine you know, but China, we know a lot about, and we know that the persecution is is pretty bad. China puts on a good face to the world, but the fact is that Christians are very much much uh, persecuted there. Um, in uh, the Middle East, of course, we know is a is a real mess. In Iraq, let's just focus on Iraq. Before the United States invaded Iraq in 2003, there were uh, one and a half million Christians in Iraq, and today there's estimated of 400,000. So in just 10 years, where did those, where did that million, there's a million Christians displaced? Where'd they go? I mean, many of them, of course, were immigrants and, and tried to get to, to Europe or different parts of the Middle East. Uh, many of them have probably been killed. Only a few have made it to America. Uh, it's very, very sad. It's a humanitarian crisis there. And this week, there's going to be a, a bishop of a very important city in the northern part of Iraq, who's come to America and he's going to be speaking. Tuesday, there's going to be a press conference for him in Washington and he's going to celebrate Mass, special memorial Mass for all the Christians persecuted in Iraq. Um, he's going to be offering Mass in Washington this Tuesday. And then Friday, he's going to give a speech to the United Nations um, in, in New York. So together, how do we end this homily by, if you have your bulletin with you, why don't you pull out that sheet? I don't know if you guys have your bulletin with you. But if you do, pull out that sheet and at the on the bottom of it, you'll see a prayer. And let's pray this prayer together for persecuted Christians. And let's try to educate ourselves about this. Become aware of what's going on around the world. Okay, so if you can see right down at the bottom of the sheet, it says prayer for a day of prayer for persecuted Christians. And so together, let's pray. O God of all the nations, the one God who is and was and always will be, 
In your providence, you will that your church be united to the suffering of your Son. Look with mercy on your servants who are persecuted for their faith in you. Grant them perseverance and courage to be worthy imitators of Christ. Bring your wisdom upon leaders of nations to work for peace among all peoples. May your spirit open conversion for those who contradict your will, that we may live in harmony. Give us the grace to be united in truth and freedom, and to always seek your will in our lives. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.